Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that's designed to spotlight pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host Ben Cicchetti and for this episode our VP of Business Development Valerie Mercurio sat down with Soren Dinesen, CEO of Digiseg, to discuss privacy, trust, data clean rooms and much much more. Before I hand it over to Val and Soren, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects lands. But without any further delay, here's Val's conversation with Soren. Hi, Soren. We are so excited to be talking with you today. Um, always really enjoy our conversations, and I'm really excited to dive a little bit into your background today on Identity Architects. So to kick us off, for anyone who doesn't know us, know you, can you give us a quick intro to Soren Dinesen and Digiseg, you know, really focused on who you are and what you do as a business? Yeah, hi, Valerie. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for inviting. Um, well, my name is Søren H. Dinesen, and uh, I'm a husband and a father of three kids, three boys, actually. So a lot of fun at home. I'm also a co-founder and CEO of uh, Digisec. And, and in Digisec, you know, I have, I have a lot of different caps on. I'm also the chief data scientist and the GDPR specialist and the CCPA specialist and so in general, I think they, they probably think of me as the geek of the company. In, uh, in short, in, in DigiSec, um, sort of the elevator pitch is that we have segmented the internet into 44 markets uh, of, uh, of, of audience data for digital marketing. And uh, what is special about us is that we use civic sources like motor register, building register, tax register, educational register and census data and mix it all up into a probabilistic uh, market covering data solution. Uh, it's completely free of personal data and cookies, yet uh, Infosum and DigiSec propositions are surprisingly similar and, and also complementary. And that's why I think it's, it's awesome to be here today and to talk to you about this and, uh, and, and tell the listeners what it is that, that we do and how it works together. Uh, we, we both saw the enigma, uh, the, this enigma of, of privacy uh, in very different ways, of course. Uh, and and that's, uh, that, that, that's why it's going to be interesting. Uh, and it's not just going to be interesting for advertisers, but probably also for publishers. And at the end, or maybe during the, the talk here, if we have any time to, to touch on measurement on the anonymized web, that could, that could also be great. Certainly. And we are so excited again to have you here. I feel every time we talk, you wear so many hats and it's always such a really great, refreshing lens to really view the world. And so we're going to start off with some quick fire questions where I'm going to rapid fire about eight different questions your way. And then we will dive into some of the more nitty gritty on privacy and measurement and what that means for our, our companies. So I will kick off. What is your earliest memory of advertising and marketing? Yeah, that's that's a good one, huh? It, it would probably be um, uh, door drops, uh, you know, direct mail in the U.S. It's called catalogs coming in through the the, the mailbox. Um, I, I remember making these collages of all my wishes, 
I, I, I never got them though. I never got what I, what I, you know, clipped out. Uh, later on, um, that same media, you know, served the, the clothing section from the, the, the department stores. That was pretty interesting. And being from Scandinavian, it was kind of revealing, right? If you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, you know, direct mail is, is probably the first time that I encountered uh, real advertising. That's great. And what was your first job in advertising or marketing? Um, it, it was actually a student job working with the data mining. During my bachelor's studies, I found out that I was uh, pretty good at statistics. What, what was difficult for other people it came, came easy to me. Um, and, um, and, and back then I, I actually worked on, on the same civic sources, uh, that we, that we use in DigiSec today. So I, so I've been working with this, you know, offline, uh, neighborhood data for, for the past 20, 25 years. Crazy, right? It is crazy how life suddenly throws you a curve ball and then you are, your, your entire existence is just, uh, you know, centered around statistics and databases and, and had somebody told me that like 25 years ago that that I'll be sitting here having the podcast with you, you know, I would have been like, no way, you know, save me. But uh, but, but here we are. And, and uh, it, it is it is fun once you forget about the statistics and actually start to talk to the people. Yeah. Yes. And really bring it to life. I always think that is kind of the tipping moment in which you kind of go through all of the back end and really starting with such a strong foundation to then elaborate and build into, you know, becoming a CEO of your business, which is amazing. And so knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you started your career? Yeah, that, that would probably be to get my moral compass in order. Um you know, many young people, they get up in the morning intrigued by the, by the tasks uh, that they are, uh, you know, offered at work. Um, but they're probably also unaware of the consequences of, of what they do. And they, they just want to solve it, right? So, so here I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, optimizing clicks and uh, actions and, and conversions without looking at what, what am I doing? What am I doing in this industry here? And... Um, I, I was, I was back, back in the days there, I was segmenting millions of door drops. And I told myself that that was a good thing, right? We were probably cutting away some waste, you know, some, some door drops or some direct mails that, that shouldn't have been sent out that would have been wasted. So that was how we used segmentation. But at the end of the day, every second, uh, two times a week, you know, Denmark could fill a whole stadium with the door drops. That was how many that was being sent out. And it's such a waste, right? You know, the, the printing, the, the paper that goes into it, the, the, the logistics of sending it out. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm not particularly proud of, of all the door drop and direct mail segmentation, but it, it built me to who I am today. And, uh, and, and it also gave me a stepping stone to move into digital. Uh, which is, <laughs> is a significant uh, well, and keeping uh, up 
yeah, from from an evolution perspective, right? And I think that's one of the best things about advertising and marketing is it's ever changing. I feel similarly when, when I got into the digital landscape and I remember walking into my first kind of course on the digital ecosystem and they said, what you learn today will be different tomorrow. And so you have to really adapt and keep up. Yeah, you and really have to, right? And, yeah. and, and I would also say to other, uh, if, if there are some young people who just started in the industry, you know, try, try and, ev- and evaluate the, the job that you do, whether you are selling tickets to hell or to heaven. You know, you can, you can, you can do a good job at whatever you do, but, but uh, here in DC, again, uh, in my personal life now, I'm trying to evaluate whether I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to optimize clicks for a, um, a charity campaign or actions or conversions for a charity campaign, or if it's for a, a, a gaming campaign that is ultimately creating ludomanias, and, uh, or, or it could be a, a financing uh, company bank that wants to sell microloans at a, at a crazy interest rate. You know, those, those are more dark side, and, uh, and the other ones are lighter side or, or, or selling tickets in, in, in heaven, as I like to to call it so uh, so that's one way of getting perspective on things uh, what is that 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 you're doing and of course i love to work on the on on the on on the light side of things certainly and i think one of the things in our industry is we're really obsessed with this concept of identity and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different organizations and so at the core, it's really having that ability to identify individuals across devices and platforms. From your perspective, though, and I love this question, how would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old? Hmm. Yeah, identity. Yeah, that's, um, as you know, identity is in, in you, me, us, them, you know, it's... It's a, it, it is a concept, and especially to a 10-year-old. I have a 9-year-old, and I tried several times to tell him what I do, and I end up saying, well, I work with computers. <laughs> because it's really difficult, right? To, to adults, I say, I do the same as Cambridge Analytica, but without the tracking. Uh, and then they go, ooh, okay, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Um, but um, I, I, I think, to me, basically, identity is sort of the difference between hiding in the crowd or being singled out. You know, n- n- none of them, uh, or no, no one likes to be singled out unless, you know, you are being uh, praised or you won the award. Then it's nice to stand there and shine, right? But it can also be uncomfortable and creepy if, uh, if, if you're being singled out and it's not relevant or enjoyable. And I think especially relevancy in, in, in our case here is... Uh, is, is should be very much linked to identity. You need to make it relevant. Then it becomes not creepy. I couldn't agree more. Um, with that, what what kind of keeps you awake at night? What are you you know thinking about as we think about the future of our industry? And what are the things that really keep your mind moving? It's actually something completely off this industry. Uh, well, I, I know that people are using AI. Uh, in the industry as well, but um, but AI in general is really a double-edged sword. Uh, I, I'm actually of the opinion that it's going to kill us eventually. Uh, so uh, nuclear war and inflation is bad as well, uh, but nothing compared to AI. 
in, in my little bubble, I also have a bubble, even though, you know, we all do, right? I, I, I hear and see everything about AI and robotics and uh, well, my wife, she hates it, you know, she, uh, but, but I, but I love it. And, um, it's so sci-fi yet it's right here right now you know i can i, I can actually go online and uh, and talk to a, a chatbot an ai chatbot uh gp3 or um and 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 it's very difficult to distinguish between a human and an ai today and i find that very intriguing you know that we've come to a level where this is possible but you can also ask an ai to to write a piece of code which basically means that AI could potentially improve itself. And um, in my friends, you know, there are geeks that do this AI stuff and they do it really, really well. And it's super exciting to hear them of what, what the future is going to be like, but also scary. So that, that's probably what keeps me up at night. That's a great answer. Um, and I think with that being said, what are some of the things that get you motivated in the morning? Well, in, in, in the morning, except for the first coffee, right? It is building a killer team, you know, not, 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 a, not, a, not a killing team, uh, but a team that, that kills it, you know, that, uh, that makes it. Um, I, we, we are in, in fierce growth uh, right now and finding that right talent that just fits in the organization, oh, it's, um, it's such a nourishing, uh, giving uh, feeling. I, I feel like I'm really privileged to be in this position here and I enjoy every minute of it. You know, we, we are, we, we service these 44 markets on three continents and uh, actually four continents because we also have South Africa and, 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 and eventually we will need feet on the ground everywhere. So that's, that's the task at hand, right? And um, it's, it's really, really interesting to do that. It really is. And and I love that because it really, we spend so much of our time with our coworkers and our colleagues and our partners. And so making sure that the people around you are on the same path forward and, and mission and really purpose-driven uh, colleagues, I always find make it the easiest to show up to work every day. Yeah. It's, it's and, the same here. You know, yes. Yeah. And we will end our quick fire questions with one last one before we hop into our deeper dive discussion. But if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Um, my, my wife, she actually has a playlist that she puts on when she wants to change my mood. She, she's studying uh, neurolinguistic programming and I'm obviously a guinea pig in this, right? Uh, but but I think that uh, one song that is on that playlist and that really has a deep impact on me is uh, "Imagine" by by John Lennon. It's it's probably the most important song of all times. You know, it's it's about keeping it real, what is really there, and and all the darkness of society and whatever we try to fit in of boxes and you know that are not really there. You know, we we need to we need to keep it real and um you know it, it goes like imagine all the people right sharing all the world it's, it's just so beautiful if you haven't really deep dived into the lyrics you know go and go and check it out uh it i'm i'm a dreamer too i'm i'm really a dreamer yeah 
Certainly. I love that song. Now, now it will be stuck in my head for the remainder of this podcast. And then I will Ooh, listen when we're okay. done. <laughs> <laughs> Go do it. Awesome. That was so great. Thank you so much for kind of starting. And it's always, you know, great for our listeners to really understand who you are, what makes you you. And with that, we will dive a little bit deeper into some more discussion topics. And, you know, I always like for these to be really fluid as we kind of have a conversation around some of these topics that matter most. And so the third party cookie, as we know, is almost extinct, uh, (laughs) as we've been saying for a little bit of time now. (laughs) Almost. Exactly. Almost. Very vague. Um, But even though it, you know, we continue to extend the deadline. I've certainly felt a shift in the industry where with these pushed out deadlines, people are still taking it a lot more seriously this time around than in the past where they used it as kind of, okay, we don't have to worry about it. I certainly have felt that the ecosystem is a lot more keen and aware that they're going to need other solutions ahead of the cookie deprecation. And what are kind of your thoughts on the status quo in the industry right now? Well, in, in the status quo is, is, is a big thing, right? Uh, but um, to boil it all down, I, I think that advertisers are fine, right? We, we've been coming to the U.S. for the past year, and there's an abundance of track data still available. And uh, it's fairly reasonably priced, and, uh, you know, so... So uh, that's a completely different story in, 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 in Europe. On the GDPR, you, you barely have any track data left. It's, it's gone. And if you find it, it's not scalable. So, um, so those are two uh, things that are. But, but I, I think U.S. is just a little bit behind Europe in the privacy sense. Um, on the other hand, we, we came back from the U.S. Uh, learning that publishers are equally hurt in the US as they are in Europe and in Asia. And um, when publishers are hurt, they can't monetize their inventory. They, they're probably losing around 30% of revenue due to no cookies on Safari, iOS, Chrome, Incognito, and, and, and the likes. And, and that's really, really bad, right? And it's not just bad isolated for publishers, it's, it's bad for society because they are hiring the the investigative journalists that uh, dig up all the shady business of politicians, the corruptions, the bad decision making, whatever. And and they are they're fueling the free internet. We we are helping them with ads that that can that can pay the bills. Um, but um, at the end of the day, uh, that's where I see the the biggest challenge right now. Later on, it will be hurting advertisers as well and that's where infosome and digisec and contextual and other techniques come into play right to uh, to make an easy transition into a future which is to a large degree tracking free uh, i think we all agree that that's where we eventually are going um so so that's that's my that's my overall take on it we we, we also see some some measurement issues but um but that's a whole different uh, thing it's, 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 it's more about grading our homework, right? How well are we doing stuff? Um, but of course, with cookies going away, it's, uh, it's devastating to that part of the industry as well. 
It is. And it, it's really about, from my lens, it's always how do you stay ahead and, and really solution, right? We kind of get lost in sometimes the nitty gritty, but bringing us back to our core of business use cases and also the importance for our consumers. And really one of the big things I love in, in talking with Digiseg regularly is understanding that privacy layer because it actually is a really strong footprint and certainly one that we see as GDPR has kind of forced that a little bit more than potentially here in the United States as laws continue to evolve and privacy and legislation. One of the things that I always kind of noodle on is how should the industry view empowering consumers to take control of their data um, while giving the ability to build a more powerful ecosystem? Yeah, that's a super good question, right? That's really, uh, uh, that is, uh, I, I would say, first of all, we need to acknowledge the power of the open internet, right? This, this is a game changer for humanity that suddenly you can sit anywhere in the world and learn something, look it up. And um, it is the basis of so much good. I, I can learn to cook Indian food. I can get a, a you know, quality press accredited news. Uh, and all of that fa falls apart if, if publishers cannot monetize their inventory. At, at the same time, consumers, they need to be able to control, you know, you know, and, and browse freely. Uh, we we don't want to end up in a in a surveillance state. Um, you just look at what's happening in China, right? With white pieces of paper being held up uh, to, uh, to to show that they that they are being censored, that they can't even protest, right? That's that's uh, scary. It's um, and with surveillance states as well. You know, we are we are. Um, we, we are in a position where we can choose what direction our society should go in. Um, and consumers, they, 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 they not only want control, they demand control. And, and, and the current user experience of opt-out is, is not where it should be. And that's my personal opinion, right? You had GDPR coming in and then TFC 2.0 uh, made a system where you could just... Uh, get the consent in abundance, right? And we would do business as usual. And, and there was, it was, um, it was consent or, you know, opt out of this, it's not where, where, where it should be, you know, consent is following the, the letter of the law or TFC 2.0 is following the letter of the law, but it's not really following the spirit of that law. The spirit were to, to really empower consumers and take actions and say, do I want to give this publisher my consent um, to monetize this piece of uh, this inventory that I'm creating, um, this ad space, you know, my identity. Definitely. And I think a lot of it as well is education. I think about it a lot, even in conversations that I have, where I always hear different feedback from my friends and family that are not in the industry. And they uh, are understanding a little bit more as this comes about, but there still is an education gap, I find. And yeah. it's kind of this back and forth on, well, I don't want to get these annoying pop-ups when I enter a website. So I just yeah. click, click, click. And yeah. it's, it's how do we as an industry make it more adjustable for the consumer to understand what everything means without this very, very fine print 
And how do we impact that control through the different channels that we're supporting? Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> it is. It's constantly. I mean, the, the feedback that I hear just from outside the industry is always really eye opening to when I show up to work every day. And it's how do we you know, evolve our industry to really give back that privacy and, and that power and that control in the right fashion. So it actually means something, because, again, all of these pop ups, while they exist, there's a really long tailwind of consumers out there that are just uneducated in exactly what that is meaning for their journey. It's it's simply too complex, right? It's um, the the trade off is not clear. What what am I giving away when I do this? You know, and uh, and it, maybe it it shouldn't be you know in a consent button. It, it there needs to be a better way. I, I, I don't have the answer for it, what it should look like, but I'm just saying that what we do now is broken. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, uh, that's, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that kind of feeds nicely into the next, the next question, which is really understanding how Digisag views claim rooms, right? And why, why are data claim rooms really more important for the future of advertising? Yeah, that, 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 this is also a, a great question, right? Clean rooms are sort of the first step on the path to an anonymized internet. Uh, you, you provide an easy transition to the future. And uh, we are moving towards an anonymized you know, web with cohorts rather than individuals. But, but there's downsides to, to uh, and you know, one of them is scale. Um, you, you have precision in a clean room, but often you lack scale which is why we complement each other so well. You know, using uh, offline neighborhood data, it's, it's obvious that that is not in, you know, very precise. We have the minimum household uh, numbers. We, we operate with a minimum of 100 households in every little cohort, in every little neighborhood. And when you sum that up, you know, uh, and compare to one-to-one -one data, uh, uh, our precision sucks. Let's, let's be honest, right? Uh, but if you went into the helicopter, you would see that, you know, we live in a very segmented ways. You know, we, we, we have all the, the people with kids, they live in this neighborhood. And then next to it, you have people, uh, elderly people uh, that have no kids, rich, poor, uh, highly educated, low education, and so on. Because if you had a a higher education, you would also get a higher income, and then you would probably move out of this neighborhood, uh, and and vice versa when when change is happening. So, so um, it is. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did, did that answer the question, actually? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. And a lot of these are really up for interpretation of how do, you know, how do these new technologies really help the consumer ultimately, right? And how do we generate more insight and more value out of the data that we have while really focusing on that privacy for the consumer? And I think going back to the conversation that we were having a little bit before, 
as we think about it, I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that we're about to face um, in terms of some of this? And obviously thinking about it at a global scale, we both know working in kind of global remits that it will vary based off the markets. But what do you think is the biggest uphill battle for our industry as we feel this privacy shift? Well, the, the, the overall focus on identity is an issue, right? Reinventing all the features of third-party cookies is not necessary. I mean, do, do, do we even want that? Do, do consumers want that? At, at one point in the future, we probably need to accept that digital marketing will become sort of a, a, a mass media. And then, then you probably ask, but why? Well, isn't that, isn't that because it's, it's, it's what the consumer wants? Inevitably, right? It's it's it really it's deep down inside. That's also why you see Chinese people with white papers on. You know, they need privacy. They need they need uh, also you know to be able to speak out. They we have these needs as human beings, and uh, yeah. Awesome. And I, I think it's so true just in the evolution. And one of those items in, in just understanding and talking about consumer and their needs from your point of view, why why is it so important for companies to put uh, the consumer first and include them in their wishes and, and really the business decisions that they're making? Yeah, ads really need to be interesting to do the job. Right, that's that's a necessity, uh, but but they can't be creepy. Take take the direct mail uh, door drops. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, we all got the same ads. Such a waste, as we talked about before. Look 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 at what happened with Cambridge Analytica helping Trump and Brexit. That was that was pretty creepy, right? So that's uh, in 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 other words, you know, consumers demand it again. It's uh, it's uh, yeah. Consumers demand it. That is, they they do demand it, and they should, quite frankly. And it's really thinking about as we evolve as an industry, how do we put that consumer first, and how do we make business decisions based off that? And one of the big things that I always think about is trust is a really big part of our business, and quite frankly, the the fundamental value that we started building on top of. What are some of the things that you think need to change? Um, and how as an industry can we come together and redefine our relationships with each other? Well, first of all, I think that the trust, uh, you know, you earn trust to have trust. It's, it's really earned. Look, look at the dominant vulgar. They, okay, now this is again my own opinion, right? Don't they abuse consumer trust in some way? When, when, when given the chance, most Facebook users actually opted out of tracking. I, okay, I, I don't know exact numbers here, but it's probably around 40-50% of all, you know, that, that had the opportunity to opt out, and, you know, and they, they took it. So, so um, it's, uh, we, we accept the terms and conditions of whatever tech we're using, but when it becomes, you know, clear to us what, it, what trade-off we are we're looking into, then we're like, ooh, we start paddling backwards, right? Um, yeah, and I, I think it's it's quite natural. It is, and it, it's zero party trust, right? Just thinking about it, I 
I said before, you know, trust was the fundamental value, but it was actually part of the instilling of how can technology protect trust because trust can only go so far. And so how do you instill the right technologies that you can still remain in control while delivering the value that the consumer needs and that other businesses really need to have? And then I think kind of moving into our our wrap up, but I did want to pause. I know we had some initial conversation and I know you wanted to open the dialogue on measurement, which would be certainly a great way to kind of round this out uh, in terms of you sharing anything that you haven't mentioned so far. Yeah, yeah, it 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 would be great just to uh, just to touch on measurement because I think that it is really one of the hurdles of the future as well, and it's uh, it's not just uh, you know now uh, where where we can't measure you know seventy percent of the impressions, which basically mean that panels and so on are hurt, um, and that means that big campaigns are difficult to measure and so on. But I would like to add that uh, one of the downsides of having one to one data is uh, usually missing scale. You know, clean rooms have great data on every interesting uh, lower funnel data point, like actions and conversions. But but how do you find like-minded prospects in the in the open market, in the upper funnel? And and that's probably where uh, the likes of DigiSec comes into the picture. We, we have that data that cover uh, all the data points, you know, and um, at the same time, on uh, on on all uh, other consumers in the market. So it's not just covering the data in the clean room, but it's covering all consumers in the entire market. And that means that you can measure what you target, and you can subsequently also target what you measure. Great, right? That, that's sort of a pretty amazing thing. Um, to to most other data vendors, this represents a conflict of interest, creating your own homework. But but to DSIC, it's a feature because this is the same data that you are using. And uh, it basically comes from that we are all chipping into this data source through just being, you know, you, you have your, your husband or, or girlfriend registered uh, at the home address. Uh, you have your car, your education, your kids, your income, your taxes. Everything is, is on that household level. And, 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 and when you take this data and it covers everybody in society, you end up with being able to uh, to to measure and target uh, loosely uh, with this data because it is probabilistic. But you, you end up having these great opportunities of a funnel where you can mirror the trends that you found below on your conversion points. So, for instance, let's say that you found a on an index 140 on... Uh, two and more kids and uh, high education and uh, low income. Then uh, you can move that 140 uh, directly up to on of funnel activities. You just target that exact same um, recipe uh, or custom audience of a funnel. And that means that you can fill up your, your, your clean room with uh, fresh data elements and, and get scaled that way. Uh, and I, I think that is, that is, that is very promising. So the future will be a mix between uh, identity and, uh, and probabilistic data um, because one or the other alone is, 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 is not going to cut it. You, know, you need to have something to measure on in order to reach 
that great recipe for success of a funnel. I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the big things is really recalibrating our expectations. I think that's one of the big shifts that we will also feel uh, in the industry, just as it pertains to measurement and what it meant from a legacy perspective versus what does measurement of the future look like? And what is that balance between just kind of this open brand awareness everywhere, everywhere, everywhere to the measurable success of some of these campaigns that exist at lower scale, but also solve for a lot of the ROI problem in terms of now you can have this really granular, really precise, while also, you know, in the DigiSag landscape, especially where there is still value to that expansion of the audience, but not at the same scale to where we are today. Yeah. And, and uh, that is all super interesting for an advertiser, but it's also interesting for a publisher, right? Suddenly you have data on all the anonymized web visitors coming in to your inventory, visiting that part. That means that you can do seller-defined audiences, shoot that away. And at the same time, you can do a nice wrapper report uh, at the end of the IO uh, that you shoot to Group M and Dental Aegis and tell them, you actually bought this. Um, so it, it does make sense. And the signals all end up in the clean room at the end of the day, enhancing new great trends to be found, new opportunities. Um, yeah. I actually think that we answer something here, Valerie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely are. And I always appreciate so much the time that I get to spend with you in, in conversation and also just brainstorming. And I think that's one of the really exciting things about how can businesses come together and, and really look at the technology that they're providing to build these new solutions for the market. And thinking about that, uh, we'll kind of wrap up thinking about Identity Architects here is really all about individuals who have pioneered new ways to use data to deliver better customer experiences. And so when you look to people you admire in the industry, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode? That's an easy one. You know, there's a very sweet, intelligent and inspiring person. Um, He's been in my board as well. and uh, I'm proud to call him a friend. And, and I, 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 so I would like to nominate Jakob Knobel. Uh, he helped building up Adform in his early 20s. Uh, he was in Forbes top 30 under 30, you know, these top list of the brightest of the brightest people, right? Um, he has put more dents in this universe than anybody else I know, TED Talks and stuff like that. Super inspiring. He, he left and, and built a very successful trading desk uh and uh now he he's done with that as well so he's uh, he's uh, doing ai which again is very very interesting right? <laughs> what keeps you up at uh, night <laughs> so if you if you want to talk to a uh you know again sweet intelligent and very inspiring guy about uh, what goes on in this industry and also a little bit beyond maybe uh he he he, he would he would be a good candidate yeah jakob knobel Check him out. Amazing. 
amazing. Hopefully we will be able to have some conversations with him in the future. And with all that being said, this is kind of our wrap up, but I always appreciate our conversations. I, I hope that I'm sure we will continue conversations over the, you know, the yeah, course of too. the next year, but it would be so interesting. I always think about it. If, if we listen back at this time next year, what will have already changed. Oh, and I'm sure we'll oh, be having a completely different conversation. We'll be surfing hand in hand on this privacy wave. No, no doubt about it. You know, get your wetsuit on and let's do that <laughs> reef break. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Soren, for joining us today. It was always, you know, it's always great just to hear you and feel inspired by you on, on what's next for us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you also for having me and to all the listeners. See you around. Uh, very, very nice being here today. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Soren for joining us on Identity Architects. I really enjoyed that conversation and the strong focus on consumers, their needs and their privacy. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.